Motherhood for January 30th, 2022. I'm Shasta Kearns Moore. Medical Motherhood is a weekly Substack newsletter and podcast on the experience of raising disabled children. To subscribe and read past issues, go to medicalmotherhood.com. According to the latest statistics available, there are nearly 1 million public school edu- special education teachers and paraeducators in America. They serve 6.3 million children, or about 9.5% of Americans between the ages of 6 and 21. Special education in America got its start in 1975 with the passage of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, or what is now called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA. It holds that all children have the right to a free and appropriate public education, in the least restrictive environment. The law is actually very clever. It requires schools to hold team meetings with staff and parents or guardians to come up with the individualized goals and accommodations for each child to access their education. The plans that come out of these meetings are called Individual Education Programs, or IEPs. Each child, therefore, has their own IEP team consisting of at least one teacher, the specialists, therapists, or nurses, and their parents, each of whom hold equal weight in decision-making. Some children can have a 504 plan. This comes from Section 504 of the 1973 Rehabilitation Act. A child on a 504 does not have to have one of the specific disabilities listed in the IDEA and typically needs relatively minor adjustments to the learning environment or materials to access school. Read more about the differences on our website. I have had good experiences with IEP meetings and bad ones, but almost always I found that my kids' school experience came down to staff members' experience and personalities. No matter what it said on the sheet of paper, we would spend hours developing. Rarely have I experienced outright discrimination. People just don't get into the special education business to be mean to kids but often they don't seem to understand what it's like to raise children with extraordinary needs. All the things that need to be in place to help them thrive, all the stresses we are under. That ignorance is what drove me to write the following list. Do you have anything to add to it? Leave a comment on our website or write to me, shasta at medicalmotherhood.com. What parents wish all IEP teams knew. Number one, different kids are different. There is a huge range of ability, even within similar diagnoses. Please don't assume that you know what this child can and cannot do. Number two, look around the table. Count the people. Chances are the parent or guardian you are talking to needs to play all of those roles at the same time, 24-7. They have had to become the expert on their kid, and they have years more experience in their particular kid's strengths and weaknesses than you will ever have reason to learn. Number three, 
School is just one piece of a larger puzzle. Your parent is juggling all of you and your opinions about their child, while at the same time balancing social services, complex medical services, including therapists, prescriptions, and potential surgeries, and family and peer perspectives. Sometimes children's medical needs are so time-consuming that it is not possible for a parent to hold down a job. It really is that much work. Number four. The larger an IEP team gets, the more you may need to think about smaller, even one-to-one meetings with specialists before the big group meeting. It's very hard to dig into all the minutiae of a child's day in a giant round table. Number five. Ask to see videos of what the child can do at home. Especially if there are motor deficits, it can be hard to understand what children are doing outside of school without seeing it. Parents will probably be proud to show them off. Number six, read up on trauma-informed care. It's reasonable to assume that our kids have been traumatized by their disability, either socially or through medical interventions. We parents have been traumatized too. Number seven, even if you have never met us, unfortunately, it's reasonable to, to assume that we don't trust you. We have been burned by medical folks or school folks who have come before you. Please take care to reassure us of basics that you might think are obvious, that you like our child, you want them in your class, you are interested in their success. Unfortunately, we've learned not everyone does. Number eight. Err on the side of over-communicating, but also consider explaining why you are CCing people. If trust is there, we are happy to be part of the conversation. If it's not, we wonder why communications have gotten so big, formal, and inclusive of administrators, and whether we're supposed to reply all when we respond. Number nine. If a child has high enough needs to require a classroom aid, that aid needs to be part of the conversation, maybe even present at the IEP meeting if that's allowed. At the very least, paraeducators need to understand the why of certain actions so that they can think more holistically about that child. Number 10. Be kind. Be patient. We might not have slept in three days or three years. Give us the benefit of the doubt that we are doing our best. Medical Motherhood's News Roundup, clippings of news and opinion from news outlets around the world. From the Concord Monitor, Lawmakers Way Expanding Window for Special Education. New Hampshire lawmakers are considering expanding the eligibility window for New Hampshire's special education law by one year, giving older students additional time to access services. But some school representatives are raising concerns about added cost. House Bill 1513 would change the state's special education statute to cover children ages 3 to 21 inclusive, rather than covering children older than 3 but less than 21 years of age. That means a 21-year-old would be counted under the same statute as a child with a disability until they turn 22. HB 1513 would not solve a different hurdle for parents of children with disabilities, Presently, school districts are required to provide services only until the student's 21st birthday, regardless of where that falls in the school year. The bill would not change that framework, 
but would simply extend the end date to the student's 22nd birthday. From the Wall Street Journal, these self-care strategies can help caregivers cope with burnout. Remember to release pent-up emotions in a healthy way. On her staycation, Ms. Brown watched the 1998 movie Stepmom, which always makes her cry. You often want to cry for yourself, for all the pain and suffering you endure and witness, she says. If you can watch a movie or listen to music that makes you cry, it can be a relief to release those emotions. Ask for help. It's okay to say that you are at your wit's end, said Dr. Grubisich. From NPR, there's one population that gets overlooked by an everyone-will-get-COVID mentality. Danny Miller, the father of two boys with Mepan syndrome, is frustrated that so many people are choosing not to get vaccinated. He says those decisions are threatening his son's lives, and he would like to see politicians and judges take stronger steps to ensure higher vaccine rights. You have parts of this country where two-thirds of the people are not vaccinated or boosted, said Miller. That means things are going to drag on much longer than they should because we are not all in this together. Recently, the parents received word that there are positive cases in both of the boys' classes. They're weighing the risks of keeping the boys in school. Miller says time is critical for his sons. He doesn't know how long they have because very little is known about the boys' rare disease. COVID has taken 12 to 18 months away from us in terms of growth, development, and treatments to help the boys on their journey, says Miller. And with that delay, we're sort of trying to make up for lost time. From Bloomberg Law, students with disabilities get mixed results on mask mandates. Decisions on school mask mandates have been inconsistent. For example, Pennsylvania's top court struck down a health department universal masking order in December, and a New York court invalidated the state's school mask mandate Monday. But a lower Pennsylvania court and a federal court in Tennessee have ordered school districts to enforce mask mandates to protect students with disabilities. And in Texas, both state and federal judges have at least temporarily blocked Republican Governor Greg Abbott's ban on mask mandates. The Texas case is on appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. The Iowa and South Carolina parents made basically the same claims. Their children's disabilities make them more likely to suffer severe injuries or die from COVID-19, so without some reasonable accommodation, they can't attend school in person. The students were likely to win on their argument that the law violates their rights under the Rehabilitation Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Eighth Circuit said, in an opinion written by Judge Dwayne Benton and joined by Judge Jane Kelly. Medical Motherhood is a weekly newsletter dedicated to the experience of raising disabled children. Get it delivered to your inbox each Sunday morning or give a gift subscription. Subscriptions are free with optional tiers of support. Thank you. Follow Medical Motherhood on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Spotify, Apple Music, Instagram, or visit the Medical Motherhood's merchandise store to get a t-shirt or mug both claiming your status as a medical mama or medical papa. Do you have a question about raising disabled kids that nobody seems to be able to answer? Ask me, and it may become a future issue. Thank you for listening. Our music was composed by Ehimitsu and used under a Creative Commons license.
Oh, mama, all day.